chasing your dreams is always worth it with a caveat. And that is you don't need to be stuck on the same dream indefinitely. That was Lauren Fleshman, and this is the Running on Own podcast. I'm your host, Julia Hanlon, and I want to know, what are you guys listening to this podcast on? Are you out on a run? Are you riding on your indoor trainer? Or maybe you're on the subway going to work? Well, I listen to podcasts, make phone calls, and jam out to music on my wireless Jaybird X2 headphones. Jaybird X2s have an innovative wireless and Bluetooth technology that syncs up seamlessly with your phone. In fact, last week, I left my phone in the locker room in the gym I go to, worked out in the weights room with my headphones playing, and Jaybird's X2's Bluetooth technology made it so that I could still play the music from my phone even when I wasn't in the same room as my phone. Now, how cool is that? And also, let's be honest here. Some of us think that we have weird-shaped ears, and when they get sweaty, it's even harder for our headphones to stay in. Well, not with Jaybird X2s, though. I can promise you that the X2s are in fact sweat-proof and have stayed firmly in my ears throughout some long runs. Jaybird X2s have a battery life of 8 hours so that you don't have to worry about them dying on you mid-workout. My favorite part of the X2s though is their audio quality. As a music major in college, and a bit of a snob for good sound, the Jaybird X2 sound quality is incredible. You won't ever want to listen to another podcast or song again after using the X2s. If you want to experience the X2 magic yourself, Jaybird has given Running on Ohm listeners a generous discount of 30% off these state-of-the-art wireless Bluetooth X2 headphones with the discount code ROOX230, that's ROOX230, which can be found in this episode's show notes. Power your passion with Jaybird X2's headphones. And now, let's dive deep into our show. Hey friends, if this is your first time tuning into Running on Home, welcome. And if this is your 171st time, welcome back. I'm your host, Julia Hanlon. And what do we even do here on Running on Home? Well, every week I bring you conversations that are beyond just the nuts and bolts of running and yoga. Here at Running on Home, we dive deep with wellness pioneers who explore the mind-body-spirit connection through different mediums, from actors, meditators, musicians, athletes, authors, entrepreneurs, Olympic gold medalists, chefs to surfers. I believe that the stories of the people that I bring on for all of you every week can change your life. And today's guest, Lauren Fleshman, is a woman who has changed my life and the lives of many of you. Lauren actually came on Running on Ohm this past October to discuss the superpower of authenticity, which is episode number 149, and I'd highly recommend you check that out. Today's conversation with Lauren is a little bit different from last time, though. We're starting the Ask Lauren Fleshman series on Running on Ohm. So some of you may know this already, but Lauren has an amazing blog called AskLaurenFleshman.com, where she answers listener questions on all things that pop up with a living and athletic life, from her experiences as a professional runner, coach, mother, business owner, and writer. Now, over the past couple years, the Q&A part of Lauren's site has become pretty overwhelming to manage, as there are far more questions than time to answer. So Lauren and I have decided to partner up and take Lauren's Q&A to an audio format where once a month, a week-long window opens for you to submit your questions. And this past month, Lauren and I were totally blown away by the amount of people who submitted thoughtful and heartfelt questions for us to answer. We also allowed you to leave your, us your telephone number, and with your permission, we called two people live on air. 
Thank you all so much for your questions. In this episode, Lauren digs deep into some of your questions from this past month on the value of whether chasing your dreams is worth it and how you can reignite your dreams when the spark is gone. What's more important in a running coach, someone who has excellent reliability or a coach who has extensive expertise? How do you get up the guts to travel out of state for a surgery that may or may not fix your injury? Are we as spectators feeding the use of performance-enhancing drugs with our emphasis on greatness? And how to increase your mental strength in training and racing so that you can reach your potential? What I love about this Q&A conversation is that Lauren brings her real, lived stories and experience to all the listener questions. They're not just cut and dry answers. Lauren really opens up about her highs and lows as a runner and human being, as she's faced some of the same uncertainties as all of you. If you dig this new Ask Lauren Fleshman series on Running on Ohm, reach out, let us know what you thought about it, and share it with your friends on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If a question comes up for you when actually listening to the episode, please write it down. Next week on Monday, January 25th, the one-week window open where you can submit your questions for the next Ask Lauren Fleshman episode on Running on Ohm. And if you're out on the run while listening today, maybe not riding on your trainer, on the subway, or walking to work, and want to enhance your listening experience, check out this episode's show notes to learn more about the Jaybird X2 discount code and a special January Jaybird giveaway where you can be eligible to win a pair of Jaybird X2's wireless Bluetooth headphones by simply leaving a review of the Running on Ohm podcast on iTunes and submitting a screenshot of your review to runningonohm at gmail.com. Both the Jaybird X2 discount code and headphone giveaway end on January 31st, 2016. So head to runningonohm.com right now for more information on how you can revolutionize your listening and life experience with Jaybird. Thank you all for listening to this longer intro. Thank you for supporting Running on Ohm. And let's dive deep together in today's conversation with Lauren Fleshman. Hey, Lauren. Hey, Jules. How are you? Good. And I'm excited to be back here in the very room we recorded our first podcast together. Yeah, it feels like we've come a long way in a short period of time working together now. Seriously, yeah. And I'm really excited about this series we're embarking on together, bringing the Ask Lauren Fleshman to Running on Ohm. Let's let's talk a little bit why we're doing this. Yeah, well, in you know 2009, when I started AskLaurenFleshman.com, the main reason I wanted to do it was, you know, I'm an educator. I wanted to, I wanted to use the things that I was learning, especially the tough times that I was in at the moment. I was having a really tough time with an injury. I was out for a long time. I was looking for running advice. I was looking for high achieving running advice. And it seemed like there really just wasn't a lot out there that I felt I could trust. And there wasn't enough out there that was specific enough to the things that I wanted to know. And so I started doing it in a written format on my blog and taking questions. And I loved it. I loved hearing the things that were coming through. I loved the feeling of actually being able to answer them sometimes, not all the time, but I was like, oh gosh, it made me feel like a lot of the crappy things that had happened during my running career, um, you know, were turning into an opportunity to help other people, which is really what the running community is about in your geographic location. If you have running friends that you run with, you you lean on them, right? You ask them about the things that are holding you back. And, and the sum of your group's experience is, is this pool of knowledge for you to pull from. So um, yeah, it was, it was nice to be able to have that virtual extended community to share with and learn from. 
And so, yeah, doing this with the podcast format's great because the, basically the way my life has evolved, it became very overwhelming for me. The amount of inbound questions, you know, there's a lot of questions out there and I get it. I have a lot of questions myself. Um, and taking the time to pick them. I mean, I'm a person that cannot pick shampoo in the shampoo aisle of the grocery store. It stresses me out. There's so many options. And judging people's questions as, you know, which one is the most important, which one should I answer? I mean, it was just, it was just too much for me. Um, and so having your help with this, Jules, is massive. And then also the written word can have an endless amount of time and tweaking to it. You know, you can really filter an answer to a question a million times till you get it right where you want it. And there's something beautiful about the written word because of that, but then it's also um, an endless amount of time. It makes it very overwhelming to answer a question. And in some ways, I feel like you get a further from authenticity when you get further from just the first thoughts that come to your head. And what I'm really looking forward to in this podcast, you know, Jules, is you're a very thoughtful person and you've come to running in a different way than I have, but we have been able to talk about so many things you know, in your perspective. We've had so many rich conversations already in this short amount of time we've known each other. And I think that having the chance to answer these questions that we're going to be getting from a gut perspective, but then also take it to the next level and, and bounce some things off of each other and really dive into them um, on the spot. We'll hopefully, we'll see, but hopefully we'll lead to some great material and some um, help for people in a way that's better than the written format. Definitely. And I think from the response we got from our Running On Own episode together, I mean, people just were so touched by your stories and your ability to speak. And so even though you are an incredible writer, I also think you do have a gift in speaking and just speaking from the heart. So I'm excited to embark on this together. Well, me too. Well, let's get started. What do we yeah. want to start with today? Yeah, I think let's just take a moment before we jump into questions, just to kind of check in to where you're at right now with your mm. training. I think a lot of the questions, we received a ton of questions, which we're both so grateful for, but there was actually a lot of questions with people just saying, you know, like, how are you doing with your comeback from injury? And even the word comeback, I'm not even totally comfortable with that phrase. But yeah, what's going on for you right now? Oh, man. Well... I am also not surprised that a lot of the questions have to do with injury since that's the state that I'm in and also a perpetual state of a lot of runners. You get stuck in these ruts and things have not been going super well for me lately, to be totally honest. New Year's was a challenge for me. I felt like I was in a place where um, I had a massive case of dreamer's fatigue, just the continual resetting, recalibrating, trying one path, not working out, and, and then you know, it takes a lot of um, guts, I think, to realize the path you're on is a dead end and to come back and be humble and go, okay, let's try this again. And I've, I feel like I've done that about 10 times now with this heel injury in the last three years. So um, each time that you do that, it gets harder and harder to turn around from the dead end, start back over, you know, come up with a new plan, recalibrate, and then get excited and, and put your heart back into it. Um, so I've been tested with this injury more than any other time in my career by far to the point where I sometimes cannot believe there's further tests. I just, when there's a new one, I'm like, really? Like there's more here? How deeply are we going to mine this? Because <laughs> it's, it gets tougher and tougher. Um, so I'd say that the past couple months have been the first time I've really wondered if this is going to work. And, um, and that's an uncomfortable place for me to be in, but 
what has been positive about it is that I have been forced over and over again to look at my life in the big, complete zoomed out picture and really see and recognize all the wonderful things that I have going on. And I've been forced to start imagining and envisioning what a life without competitive running would look like. Um, I don't feel ready to, um, to commit to that path of a life without competitive running. There's a part of me that feels like it's always darkest before the dawn, all those cliche sayings, but as long as there's a part of me that still wants to try this and still believes it's possible, um, I want to, I want to see it through. And I, I have this fear of cutting it short before things have a chance to really turn around. So the good news is I, um, I really don't think there's any, any further down in the hole I can get. <laughs> like really there's only up from here. Um, I've tried walking and jogging after my surgery. I had 12 weeks off of running. I did little walk jogs and, um, wasn't able to really get any momentum, had a lot of pain still. I've been doing rehab and now I'm, I've gone back. So my last calibration was going on to the anti-gravity treadmill, the Alter G, um, which for people that aren't aware, it's like this space bubble thing, these special shorts, and it blows up a kind of a vacuum bubble on, on top of a treadmill so that you can run at a reduced amount of weight. You can actually choose the exact percentage of your weight that you want to run at. So right now I'm, I am able to run for 15 minutes at 60% of my body weight without pain. So my new plan is to just start whatever it takes, however light I need to be on this, on this treadmill. And if I have to go up 1% per day, I'll try that. And I'm going to give myself a month, um, to see if I can make some significant forward progress. And I'm going to try not to do any long-term evaluating until, until then. Cool. That's a very long answer to that question. But. No, but I wanted to hear it, and I know <laughs> listeners want to hear it as well. And I think our first, actually, kind of question to dig into really touches upon the state that you have had to return to many times. And it's from Megan, who is in her 30s. And she says, do you ever feel that maybe chasing your dreams is not worth it? Not worth the stress, the pressure, the constant thoughts of them in your head. And if so, how do you snap out of that and get back to wanting to chase them again? Wanting to not just be mediocre. Hmm. That is that when I read that question, that hit me so deep. And that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm glad we're doing it first. Um I had two immediate thoughts to this, and I'll be interested in your thoughts. The first was chasing your dreams is always worth it. Um with a caveat, and that is you don't need to be stuck on the same dream indefinitely, right? And so that's where I'm at in my life right now too, is I've had these thoughts that you're talking about many times. Is it worth it? Is it worth the stress, the pressure, the constant thoughts of it in your head, the dancing around, you know, and so much of frustration, it just comes from expectations not equaling reality. And when you're hurt and when things aren't going well, you're constantly in a state of your, you know, recalibrating your expectations and then measuring that up to your reality. And that's just the way we operate in the world. It's very difficult to just float and be like, all right, let's see what this brings me. Let's just dial it way back. Um, in the hardest moments of chasing my dreams, what I definitely have found myself needing to do is 
lower the expectations all the way down, you know? And that's not the same as giving up on your dream. It's just trying to make the current moment more tolerable and make it so that you're actually still able to live and experience joy and not have this dream that you're chasing that's not working out totally dominate every aspect of your life so you're not even seeing so much of all the, the other gifts yeah. that are there because every single day is a, is a gift and i have lived many of my days unable to see them because i had my head so wrapped into something that was or was not working out especially when it's not working out and i really do believe that it's that when you when you're finding yourself in those moments where you're not able to live and enjoy the other things around you that um, you know, chasing a dream is not a life sentence to be miserable, right? It should not be that. It should serve a positive, an overall positive influence in your life. So if you are chasing your dream and it's putting you in this negative place, recalibrate the expectations. Look at that formula. If, you're, if you've got a teeter-totter and expectations on one side and realities on the other, like how is it weighing out? A survival tactic you just need to do is change the expectations. And that doesn't mean... It doesn't necessarily mean like changing the overall dream. It can mean that. Sometimes you can play games with your head. Like for me, I've gone from telling myself I want to make the Olympic team to I want to make the Olympic trials to I just want to run six miles without pain. Like I would love to be able to do that, right? The other dreams are still there burning. Like I have a candle for them burning in my heart. But the ones that I'm focusing on, I've broken it down. I've lowered the bar. I've broken it down to something that feels a little bit more attainable that I can handle, that I can handle and feel like it's reachable and still be able to devote just appropriate amount of my energy and life force to that in a given day and then be able to live the rest of my day in a more full way. Yeah, I think that's really well said. What you're bringing up for me is one of my friends, Greg Faxon, who's been on the podcast, he talks about this idea of high intention and low attachment. Mm. And so you can have the dreams of making the Olympic trials or making the Olympic team, but at the same time, trying to hold a sense of low attachment to the ultimate dream so that, as you said, it doesn't kind of color your every single day if things aren't going perfectly towards that dream. Mm -hmm. And your good friend, Ro, who's your co-author of the Believe Training Journals, I had the opportunity to run with her this summer at Northeast Kingdom Running Camp. And we were talking about my own running at the time. And she said to me, she said, you really need to start to focus more on the process, Jules, instead of the product. Yeah. And that's something I've been thinking a lot about in my in my own running and my life is really having dreams that are that scare me, that even scare me to say, but then also really trying to enjoy the process. Yes. To getting to those dreams or just because it's not, as you know, I mean, you've had some major moments of success, but I'm sure it was the process that was actually where really you learned who you were. hundred percent. And you, I mean, just hearing you say that brings up so much, but the, um, it, what came to my mind that just keeps sitting there is this, uh, kind of epiphany that I had the other day that what you want most could be what serves you least. And what I would say to Megan is that it is, you know, your life and there is, you you owe it to yourself every so often and everybody does to look at the things that we are getting attached to, right? Um, And be like, does this still serve me? Mm. Does this dream that I've had still serve me? Um, It might not right? Like, and I ask myself that all the time. Why do I still want this? Is it because I've always wanted it? Is it because it's familiar? It's comfortable? 
Um, it's what people expect you to want. Yep, exactly. And it might not be what serves you anymore. And so I would say it's not about, um, you know, all the other tools I talked about before of lowering the expectations and changing things. That is the advice I would give if you really look inside and this dream that you want still applies and it still serves you and it's still relevant in like the truest, deepest ways to what you want, regardless of what every, anybody else says. If, if your answer is yes, it still serves me, then that advice applies. If it's not, then don't torture yourself. <laughs> I mean... I still believe chasing your dreams is always worth it, but the dreams can evolve. Give yourself permission to evolve it. Get to a point where you can tell yourself, okay, everything I've been doing has been always leading towards something. I thought it was leading towards X, but it's actually leading towards pivoting 20 degrees to my left. Why? Right? It's something near X, It's but it might be in a slightly different industry. It might be a slightly different take. Um, and, and give yourself permission to allow it to flourish and grow in that new direction. If that is, you know, if that feels better, cause you should be happy <laughs> the majority of the time, I believe in the pursuit, right. In that process, it should be, it should give you joy. Even the struggles should set you up for future joy. They shouldn't just be endless struggles. Yeah, totally. I think that's a beautiful place to wrap the one out. Yeah. So the second question is from our friend Danny, and he's in his 20s, and he writes, which is more helpful, a coach with excellent reliability or a coach with expertise? Assume solid competency in all areas, but coach A is exemplary with specific knowledge and coach B with relationship building. Okay, so... So we're looking at two coaches, Yep. one who has excellent reliability and he's incredible at relationship building or she's incredible. And coach B has a lot of expertise with exemplary specific knowledge. Okay. So we're kind of talking, let's say a hypothetical kind of guru figure coach, someone that has coached lots of people to great things. Um, You may or may not get the personal relationship side of things, but when you look at the results they've produced, they've produced people that have done what you want to do, right? They've taken people to that promised land before. And then this other coach um, is someone who is, and, and as Danny says, right, they ex- assume solid competency in all areas. So we're not talking about a guy or a girl that's, you know, just a really, really nice and, and can pump you up. We're talking about someone that also has coaching skills, and experience, right? But they're maybe not the same pedigree status, right? They don't have the the buzz around them. But this person is very personal, um, has the time for you, and that relationship side. Am I? Do, yeah, we're on totally. The same page? Totally. Yeah. So this is such an interesting question. I do think it depends. I'd say in ninety eight point five percent of cases, I would say that. The competent coach that is able to be there for you in a relational capacity is a better choice. Um, there is sort of this, oh gosh, it's tough because there's always this voice inside you that says, if I'm going to be putting my efforts into this, I'm going to be devoting the time and the years and the energy, I want to make sure I've you know, left no stone unturned. Right. And the the coach that doesn't have the same, that hasn't taken athletes 
to that promised land um, can feel like a risk, right? And I think that there's a little bit of, uh, you know, I'd like to see Mythbusters do an episode on it, basically, because I think that the best coaches in the world um, are often the ones that know that coaching is more of an art than a science. They have the scientific background, but they recognize the individuality of athletes and the ability to apply that science to a human that's a completely unique human with unique drives, um, its own beast, right? Its own motivations. And I do believe if you have the opportunity to work with someone who is competent at coaching and is willing to put in the time to know you and read your cues, you will get better results. Yeah, I would totally agree. And if I think for them, if they really want to invest in you as a whole person, they're going to want to grow with you in your running journey. And so they're going to want to become more of an expert as they invest more in you. And if you stand up to that or you you rise up to that occasion, what for you has stood out for you as a coach that you really felt like in your in your running career has been someone like you had that relationship bond with or a coach that you've seen out there who you feel like is doing it really well? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I... What shocked me um, when I was racing on the pro circuit summer after summer before I started having more injuries and I would I would get on the bus on the way to the Rome Diamond League or, um, you know, whatever, whatever the latest, Zurich, Brussels, whatever it was. This is the top, top competitions in the world and you're on the bus with sprinters, vaulters, throwers, like these people are the people you watch winning medals in the Olympics, right? And they're sitting there on the bus next to their coach, whoever that is. And I was shocked at the number of people who were at the top of their game being coached by a partner of theirs or um, someone I'd never heard of or a coach that literally only coaches them um, or hearing about, you know, you'll hear stories of athletes that the be- you know the better they get, they often turn away from the guru figure and turn towards someone that knows them better. That's kind of been like maybe the number two or number three person on their team help helping and facilitating, but knows what makes them tick. And so after seeing that enough, that kind of blew up the myth in my mind that there is this perfect coach, this person that can really take you there. You're the only person that can really take you there. So as long as you have enough of the tools, and I, I'd say that a, a big turning point for me came in 2009 when I switched coaches from um, coach Vin Lanana, who coaches, uh, he's coached lots of people, you know, really definitely pedigree to Mark Rowland, who also had pedigree, but I didn't really know about it. He's from um, England and he hadn't coached a lot of women and he hadn't coached a lot of distance runner women, but he had had great success in the areas that he had coached. So there was this leap of faith, but I also had gotten to a stage in my career where I was like, you know, who's the person you want to be on the journey with, right? Who's the person that you want to have those long conversations about your dreams with? Who's the person that um, that you want to be high-fiving in the finish area and, and like, I don't know, it's just, it's richer. You're, you're not signing up for a purely transactional, give me the workout so I can achieve my dream, you're signing up for a relationship. You really are. And um, and I had a great relationship with Vin too. So it wasn't about that. It was just I had gotten to a point where it was either I was going to join Oregon uh, Track Club and Mark Rowland was a coach of that, or I was going to be a, a like a 
lone wolf training with Vin and doing kind of my own thing, which I had just gotten tired of. So I had this opportunity to be on a team, but it required changing coaches to somebody unfamiliar. But I met him and I talked to him and I was just like, you know, I'm, I'm cool with this. Even if this isn't the perfect coach for me, I, if, if that happens and I run 10 seconds slower in the 5k because of it, by the time my career's over, I'm okay with that because I'm just signing up to be with this person. And we're going to go on this ride together and they're going to learn from me and I'm going to learn from them. And there's a beauty in that. Yeah. Do you want to hear a little bit about Danny's ride? I do actually. I would love to call him and find out a little bit more about his decision. Yeah, let's do it. We'll see if he picks up. Hey, Danny, it's Julia and Lauren with on Running on Ohm. Oh, hey. How are you doing? That's Thanks for picking up. Um, this is Lauren Fleshman. <laughs> We, oh, hi, Lauren. Hi. Um, we were reading your question, and we were just discussing it and realized that we would like to find out a little bit more about um, kind of the impetus behind this question and and what choices specifically, or maybe not specifically if you want to keep it anonymous, but if you could just tell us more about the choice you're trying to make. Oh, this was the question of between um, how to choose a coach or, or what yeah. What I would be looking for, what I would be looking for in a coach, if I was trying to decide the merits between one person over another person. Exactly. Uh, and like you know, and you know, I guess one of the things that was going in my mind when I wrote the question was, um, what's I don't know, like the role, the role of the coach, and like, you know, do I need, do I need someone, um the more details and the nuts and bolts of what I want to learn or do I need someone, you know, to help motivate and, and just get me out there and perform every day. And, you know, what's the, the role of coach, right? I mean, I guess, it's, you know, I'm not stupid. It's every, every person is different, but. Yeah, are you, um, I would say, what are the things that you have struggled with the most so far in your running? Is it motivation or is it, um, is it more of those nuts and bolts? Oh, probably just the consistency. Um, and, and, and taking, you know, one season, one, one performance goal and then using that success towards the, the next season, the next goal rather than. Not just um, yeah, you know that's that that was more the problem. Just translating a success to to the next success and 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 keep building between and, and not. and just not losing that momentum. I guess. Mm-hmm. Do you have a coach right now? Uh, no. Okay. I would, I mean, my advice to you would be, um, if you're thinking of getting a coach and you do have goals and you want to have momentum and go, you know, have your successes build on one another, I would definitely recommend a coach. And I would say that, um, assuming as you say, the general competency in all areas that you're looking at choosing from a, a bucket of people, they're all, they all know running, they, you feel confident they can all handle the, the types of goals that you want to achieve. Um, I would definitely aim towards finding somebody who can devote, devote a little more time and consistency to you so that you can develop that relationship with the person in some way, 
whether that's weekly, a weekly phone call or whatever, or, or if it's in person, that's even better. But if you can, you know, you obviously have a passion for running and a passion for competing. So if you can add that next dimension, which is to kind of have somebody who believes in you that's on your side and that's there, you know, someone that is waiting for you at the finish line with the high five or waiting for the phone call to find out how it went, that's going to add a lot to your running experience. It will probably bring you success, more success too, but I think what you'll probably be most excited about, I'm guessing, is just um, just like kind of enriching that narrative of, of something that's obviously important to you. And it, I think it's worth a try for sure. No, I'm just kind of more curious just hearing, um, you know, your words on, on just the whole thought and the process because I, I don't really, I don't really know, you know, my choices or where I want to go. I just, I mean, to me, I get, to me, that's the biggest thing I'm choosing a coach is, um, the the purpose for it, you know, is this person, you know, to you know, really there? Is, I'm gonna get the most benefit from having a structure and and knowing the stimulus recovery rhythm of training, or you know, is is the the value, you know, is it thirty dollars, hundred dollars a month, or whatever? Is that value coming from, you know, the the every week, every day? talking about the same thing and, and both people having the best interest towards you making the goal. Mm. Is that really more where the value is? Yeah, um, I see. I, I see the heart of your question now. Yeah, I um, Gosh. And it to me, it doesn't really feel like an either or, right? Because if the person is is coaching you, you will get, you will get the benefit of um, offloading that mental space in your brain that normally has to think about when am I going to do the workout? How many easy days? How many hard days? When's my rest day? That's really tiring. I'd say that thinking about all that for yourself, for most people, and I'm going to throw myself into that bucket too, is, um, is a heavy load to carry. And it kind of sucks some of the fun out of the running, right? And it, it is fun to have a plan and follow a plan and tick the boxes and, and be able to just go do the work, right? That's, a, it's very freeing. So I think that you get some benefit from having a coach from that because then you're just able to be more present in the workouts and not have to doubt them and wonder if you pick the right thing for yourself or what. You just do it and you just do your best at it and enjoy it. Um, and so, yes, that is a benefit of coaching. But the other thing is also a benefit of coaching, getting coached, is that you do have someone to talk to and check in with and that relationship and um, someone to feel accountable towards someone that starts to get to know you, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is, it is a true relationship. It's adding that dimension to your sport. So I'd say, um, you know, in, in having heard your breakdown, uh, if you've never been coached, the first thing you'll notice that's a benefit is being able to just be free and do the work. You will, you will probably do better work because you are just kind of executing a plan that's given to you. It's kind of like thinking mm. of doing independent study, getting a college degree by just reading whatever books and following things on the internet versus having a syllabus, right? Like there's, there's a, there's nice things to having your own self-guided education too, but you will probably get more done in four years if you have a syllabus and a, a plan to follow, right? Well, thank you, Danny, so much for picking up and kind of sharing your question with us. It really means a lot. 
Uh, you're welcome, and I'm, I'm glad we got to talk about it. Yep, we wish you luck. Bye. Really neat to kind of get a window into someone's thought process. Yeah, definitely. And it's scary. I mean, the decision of picking a coach and investing your running in someone can be really scary. Yeah, and I mean, just the it's it's money. <laughs> That's the other part too, right? You if you're going from and having never paid for help to paying for help, you want to know it's going to make a difference, right? Um, and I mean, you can take yourself a long ways. But um, I would I would encourage lots of people to try having a coach, and at least at some point in their running, if running something important to you and competing is important to you, and you enjoy it, like having some sort of a coach relationship, even if you just try it for three to six months, you'll learn a lot. You can always stop doing it and take the things you've learned and keep using them yourself, incorporating them yourself. But it's a, it is a cool thing to be coached. I wish I had a coach in every area of my life. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I, I ran for the first time um, competitively my senior year of college, and I'd started running my junior year um, just for fun. And when I had a coach, it was such a relief to kind of hand over um, it, it to someone else, to mm -hmm. have someone else hold space for my training for me and have space for kind of those big decisions of different workouts and things like that for them to really orchestrate that. And it is a real privilege, and I hope Danny will. We'll pursue it. Yeah, me too. So our next question is also really to do with injury. We got a couple questions about injury. Obviously, that's something that's really pertinent um, right now. And this is from frustrated with my calf injury in their 20s. And they say, I've had a tough injury for years and I've had two surgeries so far. I'm now slated for a surgery with a surgeon so subspecialized that I have to travel out of state. How did you get up the guts required for your surgery, Lauren? Mine may or may not work, and it is stressful and scary. I want to recover. Well, frustrated with calf injury. Uh, this obviously rings true to me right now. Um, for people that don't know, I flew to Sweden, Umeå, Sweden, to see a specialist for the Achilles tendon in September and had surgery there, mainly because the method of his surgery was different than anything offered in the United States. Um, it didn't involve removing the Achilles tendon and reattaching it. It didn't even involve going under, um, you know, general anesthesia. It was local. And there were a lot of things about it that were, were different. And it was really risky. And to be honest, um, I, I can sympathize with you because it took me about six months about knowing about this guy. It took me about six months to actually pull the trigger and go and do it. Um, so it sounds like you've already committed to doing it. You have found the person that's specialized in your area. And that's really, that's where all the tough work is, is just making the decision to do it. So now you're at a stage, which is, um, following through, you've got a plan, you've got the person, you just need to follow through. Uh, it is scary and there is no guarantee that it's going to work. And it, when you've been dealing with this for two years, which is, or it says two surgeries so far, so you've, you've tried things and they haven't worked. So you have, a, you know, you don't have the, um, kind of the, the blissful optimism of someone the first time around, you know, what's possible. And th that is possible that this could happen again. The same things have gone through my head with my heel, you know, there's never any guarantee. So Gosh, it's just tough. My heart just breaks for you right now because I just know what that feels like. 
So in the question of how did you get the guts required, get up the guts required for your surgery? And the main reason it takes guts is because it, you know it might not work and it's scary. Um, this person is an expert in their field and their specialization. And I'd say that the road that has led you to this person, um, unless you have a really bad feeling deep, deep in your soul that says, this is not the road I want to go down, I would say if it's more just general anxiety that it won't lead to the result you want, then, then go for it. You know, just know that, um, there will be relief in knowing you tried everything. It sounds like you're kind of at the end of your rope. This is the last try. And, um, and when you love to run and you want that to remain a part of your life and it's being taken away from you, um, I think it is important to try every avenue you can that you have endurance for as long as it feels right. And then when it stops feeling right, then don't do it anymore. You know, there's plenty out there to do. What was the turning point moment for you when you actually decided, I'm going to book the tickets and I'm going to Sweden? Oh, man. Um, the turning point for me was that I, I really felt that I had tried everything else and that this person had achieved results that I desired with other people in my situation. So I knew that it was possible, right? I, I did feel a sense of hope. Um, but the actual decision to do it came when I was basically sitting down saying, this is my last thing I can try. Um, what if I don't do it and I just move on? Can I do that? Can I look in the mirror and say, I'm done. That was a good try. Everything I've tried was, you know, it was still worth it. I learned things, but I don't want to keep doing this anymore. And I, I asked myself that and I sat with it. You know, I sat with it. I tried it on and see how it felt, how it fit. And I just couldn't feel good about the decision to walk away yet. Uh, and so I guess that's something that I could give as advice to frustrated is um, if you haven't booked the ticket, um, give yourself a chance. Ask yourself how it will feel to, to be done. You know, if the way your calf feels right now is as good as it gets. Um, what would your life look like? What other sports could you do? Can you derive the happiness you want from those? Um, can you just envision it? And does it feel like it that you can that you're ready for that? You know, because at some point we're all almost all of us. Very few of us get to run into our seventies. Some point we all have to transition, right? We have to transition to being slower than we once were, to being able to run less frequently than we once did, or whatever. We we embrace new limits. And when you're young, you know, and, and frustrated is is in their twenties, um, you haven't had a lot of things like that yet. You've everything has been kind of on the up and up and up. Uh, very few things have kind of been like, I got to let that go. I'm never going to be as good at that again. So I think that's why injuries can be so crippling for the young runner um, because it's really taking a very big feeling of getting worse at something or letting go of something or moving on from something for the first time or maybe second time or whatever in your life. So it's symbolic of something bigger. And um, and you'll learn from it. Obviously, it'll like in 10 years, this will feel small. But right now it's big and it's important to honor that and take it seriously. Yeah, I wish I wish them the best. Me too. I would say I'd say go for it. I say go for it, give it a try, barring any crazy feeling in your gut. 
and barring the feeling that you can just walk away and be okay. And if you can, that's great. Obviously, like there's nothing, there's nothing about running that's like cannot be matched in this world by something else. There's so much that can be done. So if it's not going to be running, it can be something else. You can feel fulfilled, you know? Um, so yeah, so, but barring that, give it a shot, see what happens. Right on. Our next question is from Andres, and it's a pretty juicy question. He's in his 20s, and he writes, Do you think there's a level of responsibility or complicity from viewers and or sponsors? Re-negative pressure on athletic performance, either through the use of performance enhancements or overtraining. People love to see greatness, but they act surprised when the impossible comes at a cost. Hmm. So first, let's unpack that. You know, yeah. what, it even, what is he even trying to say here in that question? Because yeah, it is a little bit confusing. I mean, he's tackling some big things here. You're talking about essentially people love to see greatness, but they act surprised when the impossible comes at a cost, right? So are we as a society, as, as spectator sponsors, are we feeding the problems of performance enhancing drugs and overtraining and kind of this, the ugly side of sport by placing so much emphasis on greatness, right? Are we somehow, you know, we act like we're the assaulted ones as viewers when someone cheats, turns out to be a cheater, uh, that the magic we believed in was actually illusion. But what role did we play, right? What role do we play? That's a good question. Yeah, that's deep. Yeah, I I mean, I think about this a lot. In in my career, there was a time when I went, um, I, I used to believe that I could be a world record holder or an Olympic gold medalist. You know, I really believed it was possible. I didn't believe that cheaters or whatever. I just I didn't let myself even think about the reality I was up against because it just it made it too hard to continue to take steps forward and to do the work of myself. Um, and so I would hold on to that dream that it was possible to do it clean. I, and, you know, people will say I'm cynical. I don't, I don't believe it's possible to break the world record in most of the events clean anymore. Um, there will... Because they've been set by people who were Yeah, I using. believe the history of doping in, our, in the world... In track and field, um, in particular, has been going on for so long and was so undetectable for so long. You just, if you just look at the women's records and how long ago they were set and how out of reach they are, even for people who we look at now that are so great, they are so, so unattainable. And the moment that I realized I wasn't going to try for those things, I wasn't going to set my personal bar at that unreachable level was sad. You know, it felt a little bit like giving up. Um, and part of why it was sad was because what I, what I saw around me was a culture and a society that worshiped record breaking and gold medals. And so part of letting go of that dream wasn't just about personally saying, I can't ever be the best in the world. It was also letting go of the potential to be acknowledged as the greatest, right? The performer side of me that, that exists in all athletes. The performer side wants to do it, not just to say you did it. That's the biggest part. You'd want to do it for yourself, but you want the recognition. You know, you want to, you want to, if you break, if you win a medal, you, you know, you get to be on TV, you get to like have a platform to do great work 
You know, you can, um, not just for personal gain, like you actually are given a platform. You can say you've, yeah. Yeah. To be a voice piece for issues you're passionate about. Absolutely. And there was a morning of that for me, a morning that if I can't, if I don't shoot for that record, if I give up on that dream and, and I, and that means I'm accepting that that's not going to be my fate. And then I'm also losing that potential platform that I want, that I want to be able to do great things. And, um, and it made me kind of mad, honestly. It made me mad that we are, we are like so worshiping of illusion and that we aren't more creative. I feel that as viewers and as sponsors, we do have a responsibility to broaden the defini- definition of success to be realistic and to, yeah, like aspiration is important. Greatness is important. But why does what is considered great have to be defined so narrowly and available to so few that in order to achieve it, you have to do performance enhancing drugs or push your body to the point of breaking in trying to get them. When I let go of being a world record holder or winning gold medal, I also freed myself from punishing my body to the level where I was, I was never like, I could have worked harder. Sure. But it wasn't going to get me my goal. It's just going to get me hurt and overtrained. And so many young athletes push themselves like yeah. that because well, they still think it's possible. And they're actually robbing themselves of their actual potential because they hardly make it to the starting line. I think that's so on point. I think what we're saying is that there actually needs to be a new way of celebrating, like a new paradigm of celebrating healthy empowered, clean athletes out there. Yes, absolutely. I definitely think that that's the case. And I think that there are people doing it. You know, I mean, I talk about Wazel a lot, but Wazel is, you know, my primary sponsor and my apparel sponsor. And what they're doing top to bottom is they're identifying athletes they want to sponsor with achievement being only one part of the package. It has to be there. The achievement part needs to be there. The person has to want to see what they're capable of. But the person doesn't have clauses in their contract that say, if you aren't top five in the world, we're cutting your salary in half. When a sponsor gives a contract to an athlete, they're essentially telling that athlete what is valued and what is not. Um, And what is sort of hilarious, I mean, now that I'm a business owner at Picky Bars and I am very involved in marketing... Um, and then my relationships with other brands that I've chosen to be a part of. What's hilarious about some brands is that they, they're losing the plot. Like the point of having athletes is to spread the good word of your brand, get behind people who are magnetic and trustworthy and hardworking and that you can aspire to be so that you will become interested, so that the general public, public will become interested in those products and want to try them and buy them. I mean, that is why sports marketing exists. And to have um, associations of achievement and top of the line, you know, be associated with top of the line products and brands. That doesn't have anything to, it doesn't have to be conditional on winning a world championships gold medal or, yeah. um, you know, whatever. And if you're, if as a brand you're or a viewer, if you're only looking for those stories, those narrow little stories to inspire, you're actually probably missing some of the juiciest stuff out there. Yeah. All the struggle and the heartbreak and the people who've had to overcome a lot. Yeah. And I think 
I've been talking a lot about this with some of the Little Wing um, women who learn coaches, is that as a professional athlete, whether or not you're at the world record holding level or maybe your goal, as we've said, is to make it to Olympic trials, you have such a platform to inspire people to share your story. And mm-hmm. I've actually found seeing some of um, with the podcast and getting to interview uh, and having the privilege of interviewing a lot of incredible runners, oftentimes some of the people at the top are actually not um, are not actually using themselves as a platform no. for for a cause they're passionate about, and that I find really frustrating. And I think that part of what's happening is um, so many athletes that are near the top feel that they aren't allowed to have a platform until they have achieved this teeny tiny little sliver of the top of the pyramid that they don't give themselves permission to be inspiring and to to be human yeah to be who they already are it's almost like they're waiting to be who they are until some arbitrary person has blessed them with a wand that says now you're good enough to open your mouth now you're good enough to have an opinion you know you've run 1450 in the 5k so now you can now you can be inspirational. And it's so sad to watch. It's sad to watch anyone do that. I mean, imagine if um, like artists or musicians were like that or authors, right? When you look at um, people who write books, you can write a book in a million different ways. You, you can like weave a story. You don't have to compare yourself to um, you know, the greatest authors of all time, right? In order to like, Give yourself permission to write words on on a page for people to read. No one expects that. No, there's nothing in the book industry that says, unless you can write like Toni Morrison, you can't write, right? Um, but there's something about running that's like, if unless you run a certain speed or jump a certain height, uh, you're not allowed to have an opinion or you're not allowed to talk about your story or presume. It's so presumptuous of you to think that what you have to say would be interesting. And uh, or valuable in any way. So, I, I would just uh, would encourage anyone to like don't wait to have a platform. You have one, and people will self-select. The people that are picking up what you're putting down are going to listen. And um, you know, there's no pressure to try to do anything world-changing or anything. But just don't hold back on just being who you are. And as and as viewers of the sport, as a viewer of the sport. Really, um, Andrew's talking about the level of responsibility. And I think really supporting those athletes who do share their stories. Yeah. You know, and engaging with that. Absolutely. Being willing to evolve as a viewer to saying that the person that wins isn't automatically the most interesting or the person that has the most to offer me, that I am interested in a greater depth of character, right? Like not just if you win or lose, but how you play the game, right? And so have your decisions um, reflect that and the things that we talk about. You know, I actually find like football fans to be kind of awesome. I hate football, full disclosure, but football fans, like they support their team, right? They, they can be winning, losing, true fans support their team. And they know this, like the greater story of the battle that you're not going to win every war, but they want to see how they fight. And, you know, they'll complain when it doesn't go well and they'll be really excited when it does, but they stick by them. And I'd say like, viewers can do that with athletes, you know, don't, don't just be the Jersey chaser. That's like, who's winning now? I'm going to only pay attention to that. Like, don't be afraid to dive in and really 
um, grab onto the stories of the athletes and follow them through the trajectory of their career. And Totally. And, and what's so exciting is social media is like this new way in which we can do that. Totally. It is. It is. And, um, and as far as brands, I mean, I would encourage people to support brands that are living those values where they're, where they are supporting, uh, and defining success more broadly, you know, in a way that's healthy and sustainable and really offers something to the sport as a whole. And cause every time we support an athlete who's doped, um, on the comeback, right. I mean, I'll just say it like Justin Gatlin, really nice guy. I'm, you know, I'm sure I would love to sit down and talk to him at length about lots of things in life, but the principle of an athlete who has been convicted of two doping offenses being given one of the biggest sports contracts available by Nike, it just sends this message that is, uh, it's just really hard to swallow. And, and there's a general um, unease in the sports, in the track and field community, viewer community of like, how am I supposed to feel about this? You know, how am I supposed to feel about like, this person getting rewarded and promoted after the things that they've done when there's clean athletes there. And it, it's, it's just confusing, right? It's very confusing. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't want Justin Gatlin to be skewered for eternity either, but it would be nice if brands and viewers put their heart and money and whatever behind people that, um, exemplify the values they'd like to see more of. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So we have another exciting question to answer um, that I can definitely relate to. And it's from Jill Murphy, who's in her 20s. And she says, ever since competing in track in high school, I've struggled with pushing myself further because of lack of mental strength. I train and have the fitness to kick way more ass than I do. What are some tips for increasing mental strength in training and racing so that I can reach my potential? Mm, this is a good question. I feel like we should give her a call and see if we can find out a little bit more specifically. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So we couldn't get a hold of Jill, but I still think it's a juicy question to jump into. Yes. Okay. So what did you think of this question when, when you read it? Um, just the, the first thing that came into my head was... Um, I could kick way more ass than I do, right? And I was just thinking, I was what, one of the things I wanted to ask her was what and who is she comparing herself to? Is it, where is she getting the version of herself that she's not living up to? Where is that person coming from? Is that, um, you know, is that person relevant to her right now? right? Is she feeling frustrated because she's not living up to someone that she actually has the potential to be and really wants to be? Or is she feeling frustrated because she isn't living up to the potential of being someone that isn't relevant? You know, I, I, I would, I, so I really wanted to kind of find out a little bit more about what her goals are and why she has those goals. Um, but what I would say, I guess just more generally, is um, when you're feeling this way, when you're feeling that you have potential to do something and you keep not doing it, 
uh, to don't be afraid to ask yourself, like, should I be trying to do that thing that I keep not doing, right? Like, sounds like you train a lot, um, you're fit, so you're committed, you're out there, you're running, you're doing races. It might be a simple matter of like letting it go a little bit in, from the sense of like being a little kinder to yourself, a little easier on yourself and making goals that fit in better with your overall lifestyle so that you can achieve them. That's a possibility. Another possibility is, you know, maybe um, you really, really do want these things that are that you keep not doing. Um, and in that case, you can develop a pattern of that's really hard to get out of, right? It's just like the like any a bad eating habit or something else. You know, you want to you keep wanting to eat more vegetables, but you keep not eating vegetables, and you know logically, you should or you could. It's not that hard in theory, but doing it's different. And the more you continue to not do something, the harder it is to change the habit. So you want the space between the time between when you set a goal and when you start really wholeheartedly trying to achieve it to be fairly small. It's, I think it's um, more challenging when you set a goal and you wait a long, 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 long time to wholeheartedly go after it. You either need to reset the goal or just give yourself a swift kick in the ass and, and, and break down in more measurable chunks what it's going to take to get there. Um, but one thing I would say that you could do is um, recalibrate your goal to something you know is achievable and practice achieving it. Maybe it's like the equivalent of eating one serving of vegetables a day, right? And with that momentum, mm -hmm. I think that is what then gives you the confidence to believe in your mental strength and believe in kicking ass in the moments where you're going to actually have to go out of the comfort zone. Absolutely. And that's something I've struggled with in my own running since graduating from college is a lot of comparing myself to other people. And that has been almost paralyzing and feeling like there's disconnect in my own life between my fitness and then actually being able to perform. But something that I've been really trying to work with in this upcoming year for 2016 is to try to um, back down a little bit with my goals, mm -hmm. <laughs> to be a little bit more realistic and do some more as we've kind of circling back to Megan's question, just being a little bit more bite-sized in my approach with my goals and some goals that maybe aren't as big and wild, but little stones on the way. Yes, that is so And that important. momentum is huge. It's really huge. I mean, the, there's science and research that shows that even if you do have a big, hairy, scary goal that you want to achieve, you're more likely to achieve it if you do break it down into smaller, more attainable things. And you, you practice succeeding. You practice living up to your expectations as a change of pace from not living up to your expectations, which is what it sounds like um, Jill is experiencing right now. She's constantly letting herself down. And so you, you really got to get out of that habit. Whatever you're doing, stop doing that. Stop putting yourself in that position because you, it's setting you back, right? So give yourself something. Give yourself the grace to have a few months where the, the goals are attainable, even if they seem silly, like, of course I can do that. Of course I can do that. Why would I go into this race with that goal if I know I can, if I'm almost positive I can achieve it? Well, it does offer you something. It offers you doing what you say you're going to do, all right? It gives you integrity. Um, my college coach, Vin Lanana, used to tell us when we were at Stanford that he didn't really care how fast we ran or what place we got. What he cared about is that we did the things we said we were going to do, that we ran with integrity. And when you practice running with integrity, 
you will find you continue to be able to jump higher and higher and higher and reach for bigger and bigger things because you're addicted to and used to succeeding. You're used to, um, you're used to believing that you can do the things you've set out to do. So it's, it's a, it's a super, like, I think this one's super straightforward. I think that Jill will have a lot better experience if she kind of breaks it down and gives herself some grace and starts practicing running with more integrity. Yeah, I'm excited for you, Jill. Yeah, me too. And you you know, the first thing though, you don't have a lack of mental strength. So like, don't feed those weeds in your brain, right? You, I, I hear this so often from people, they'll, they'll say, I don't, I'm not mentally strong enough. They look at a failure that they're having, a perceived failure that they're having, and they instantly turn it back on themselves. I'm not mentally strong enough, and that's why this is happening. It's it's not true. It's just not true. You're, you're just probably asking your brain to do something it's not quite ready to do yet. You know, you have to, just like you have to work up to being able to do mile repeats, you have to work up to being able to ask your brain to wrap itself around this this thing you want to achieve. And so break it down work towards it. You are mentally strong enough. And it is so important. You tell yourself that through this pathway that you're going to take as you kind of lower the expectations a little bit, set these achievable goals. You need to be feeding those, um, flowers, right? You need to, need to be, uh, bathing yourself in this confidence. I am mentally strong. Hey, look at that, that thing I just did that I said I was going to do. Boom. I did it. (laughs) I did it. And I'm going to go do it again. And, uh, you know, don't, don't like downplay the value of those experiences. Yeah. I think that was really beautiful because I think the momentum that we're speaking to with Jill is going to allow her to build a relationship of trust with herself that through time, she is going to be able to kick the ass she wants to kick because she can really rely on her deep confidence. Can you think of anything more powerful than that? I mean, that is why running is so beautiful because you can basically construct for yourself a series of moments and challenges that help you trust yourself, that help you feel this like unshakable confidence in yourself. Without a sport like running, that's so much harder to kind of manufacture. You don't have this laboratory to work within. And, um, and so sometimes running can kind of become this like bear right? When we have these challenges, but it's just so important to keep it in its proper place that it is a laboratory and it is this, this safe place for us to play with these things, with these concepts, because in that lab, if you build that confidence and that trust in yourself, when you step out of that lab, you're still the same person. You're that confident person. And that can permeate into all areas of your life. And it will. I mean, I think what we're speaking to throughout this series with a lot of the questions is it's not just running, but it's, as you said, it's like the values, it's the lesson, it's the integrity as a person you build through running. That's what we're signing up for, right? Even in the hardest, hardest challenges, the three-year-long ones, that's one of the things that keeps me going. I know I'm learning something right now, and it may get me what I think I want, and it may not, but I know for sure that whatever's happening in this lab right now is carrying over into my work life, my family life, And so I try to be mindful of how I let that laboratory shape me, right? In good times and bad, because I don't want to, I don't want the person that steps out of that lab to the time with my son and my husband to be anything less than, than I just wanted to, 
I don't want to unnecessarily muddy the waters beyond what needs to be, <laughs> if that makes any sense. I want to continue to focus on what lessons are being learned and then set myself up to be stronger in the other things that I'm doing. Yeah. And I think about my yoga practice in particular, um, my devotion to my yoga practice was really my first love of a physical practice. And I think yoga has taught me how to be a runner. Mm, that's interesting. Because there's so many of the lessons on my mat of showing up even on days when I didn't want to and on staying the course, whether it be in a really challenging class or I'm working towards a posture I haven't got in an, into for six months. And every day I do, I try at it, I try at it. And then finally one day it just kind of comes. Mm. And I think what we're speaking to is running is this lab and these lessons that we can explore in running also can be explored in many different facets of our life. It can. So build the mental strength also outside of your runs. Definitely. And I would say just as a call out to anybody who asked a question, um, you know, so many of the things that we're faced with as challenges in running would actually, we could learn some tools that would help us in yoga. I didn't find yoga until I was out of college. I didn't really get it. I didn't know what it was. And it's something that I'm I'm hoping now that yoga's super cool, that everybody who once they're starting out running, that there's that they've at least been exposed to a few classes. And I feel like you're very fortunate that you had yoga first, you know, because you will come into the challenges of running having learned those things in yoga, and it will give you kind of some extra superpowers. Um, and a lot of us have to go the other way. You know, we go in running and then we go to yoga and it's like, oh, light bulbs are going off. This applies. You know, this applies yoga for so many runners is, is this slow, expensive stretching, you know, it doesn't, um, have this pull. And if, if people realized what it could really do for them in their running and beyond they I think they'd be a lot more open-minded to it. I totally agree. And I think with yoga, the scary thing for runners, a lot of people is feeling like they're too tight or too inflexible, but I'd really like to say you don't have to be super flexible. There's no being bad at yoga. As cliche as that sounds, really, there's no being bad at yoga. Yoga is like a language, like anything else, that takes practice. Mm -hmm. And so just trying it a couple times. I mean, my first 10 yoga classes, I felt totally uncomfortable and awkward. And it wasn't really until two years after doing it consistently that it started to click. Yeah. And that's the same as any runner will know who's listening, is it takes a while for running at times to feel good. It does. It does. And in yoga, because, you know, I think... Um, one of the coolest things to me was that realization that you're supposed to come as you are, that you're supposed to come with one hamstring tighter than the other and just deal with that and accept it and move your body anyway and not fight against it. And so much of running is uh, fighting against things and tuning out pain and whatever. And there is this um, universally accepted bar of what's what's good, what makes a good runner. And in yoga, even the best yogis know that that's not the truth of yoga. The truth of yoga isn't that you're good at it or bad at it. It's how well you're able to come as you are and honor that. And that one lesson alone, if you can bring it into your running, you give yourself so much more grace in all the challenges you're facing. Yeah, you're a yogi, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I think I, have a, I do have a yoga spirit. I think that enough tough things you go through in running it if they don't make you quit the only you know you're forced to learn those lessons in so much of a harsher way than you learn them in the yoga lab yep right you know you do you learn them the really hard way cool 
We're going to close it up with a pretty sweet one from Grace, who's in high school. And she asks, what is your favorite running-related memory? What made you realize that running was a part of who you are? Hmm. Oh, man, this one just, like, a memory flashed into my, my, a lot of memories actually flashed into my mind, but maybe because she's in high school, this one flashed into my mind first of my favorite running-related memory. I don't have an actual favorite, just to throw it out there. There's so many. Um, But I'll start with one, which was my first day of cross-country practice when I was 13 years old, and I showed up to cross-country, which I can't even really tell you why I did. It was summer practice. Um, School hadn't even started yet. But I showed up in a pair of Avia sneakers that we got at Costco and and just kind of strolled in so nervous onto the other side of the gate by the track. And there was this circle of people all lined up, ready to go, and the coach was standing in the middle, and he was kind of this hunky guy with these big wraparound Oakley glasses and, you know, all tan and fit and talking about whatever I couldn't see. But I just remember seeing this circle of people with this person standing in the middle and all of them listening and all of them different shapes and sizes and ages and heights, and I was like this tiny little thing, so afraid of high school, like so afraid that I was – going to get picked on or not fit in. And I see these people and I'm late as I always am and have will be till the day I die to everything. But I'm late walking up on my first day of practice and I just see them and I just like had this feeling that these are my people, you know, and I didn't even know really how to run. And the first day the coach says, you know, beginners, two miles. And I just about freaked out. I was like, two miles. (laughs) And that the older runners are running 8 to 10. And seeing these people that, you know, just looked like regular old kids, didn't even flinch hearing 8 to 10 miles, blew my mind. And I went out and was like, okay, I'm going to try to run this two miles in my sneakers. And the sneakers were horrible. I mean, they are not running shoes. They lasted all of one day. And I demanded that my mom take me to a proper store and get me some proper shoes. Um but I, I did it. You know, I made it the two miles and I met a lot of, uh, of cool people and we talked the whole time. And, and then the upperclassmen got back from their run like, you know, an hour later or whatever. And I was just in awe of these people. Everyone was so welcoming. So I can remember the, the weather that day and like the looks of so many of these people's faces that I'd love to see now, whatever, 20 years later, whatever it is, and see how different they look, but I remember their 13 to 18 year old selves. And, um, and I just had this feeling like these are my people and I'm going to be okay in high school as long as I have these people. That's such a beautiful memory. I think you spoke to something that is really magical about the running community is that runners are really special people. And I had the privilege of coaching track and cross country last year at my high school And just to get to watch some of the freshmen, you know, come on their first day and seeing them feeling really nervous. But people have this warmth in the running community at every level that has blown me away every step of the way. Yep, we are lucky. That's that's the heart of why I hope more than anything that my heel heals and that I can continue to do this in some capacity for many years to come because... 
you know, these are my people. And I could, you know, find different people if I really needed to, but I don't want to. <laughs> I like these people. <laughs> we don't want you to find different people either. <laughs> well, thank you so much to everyone who sent in questions. And um, this is something that we'll look forward to doing again next month. Definitely. And we'll have a question window period open for a week where you can submit your questions. If you want to be one of those lucky people who will phone call, um, leave your number as well. And thank you guys so much for tuning in. Isn't Lauren awesome? She's filled with so many incredible stories and powerful life experiences for all of you. We're looking forward to continuing this Ask Lauren Fleshman series on Running on Ohm on a monthly basis. And if you want to ask a question for February's episode, and maybe even have us call you live on air, submit your question next week on Monday, January 25th, during the one-week window on runningonohm.com slash Fleshman. Now let's be honest, you guys, did your earbuds ever fall off when listening to today's episode? Maybe they just got too sweaty to stay in your ears since you're crushing it on the bike or treadmill. With Jaybird X2 wireless and Bluetooth headphones, you can listen to Running on Ohm, your favorite tunes, or maybe even call your mom without having to worry about your headphones falling out of your ears. The X2s have a secure yet comfortable fit, are sweat-proof, have an 8-hour battery life, and are of the highest sound quality I've ever experienced in a headphone. If you too want to revolutionize your listening and life experience, Jaybird has given Running on Home listeners a generous discount of 30% off these state-of-the-art wireless Bluetooth X2 headphones with the discount code ROOX230. That's ROOX230, which can be found in this episode's show notes. Jaybird's also offered Running on Home listeners an X2 giveaway where you can be eligible to win a pair of Jaybird X2's wireless headphones by simply leaving a review of the Running on Home podcast on iTunes and submitting a screenshot of your review to runningonome at gmail.com. Both the Jaybird X2 discount code and the headphone giveaway end on January 31st, 2016. So head to this episode's show notes on runningonome.com right now for more information on how you can power your passion with Jaybird X2s. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Thank you for supporting Running on Ohm. Deep gratitude to each and every one of you. Yes, you. I'm your host, Julia Hanlon. And I hope you have a rue-filled day. <laughs>